Hey, listen, you know, today we start uh, a new series, and I'm excited about this one. This was actually kind of prompted and kind of provoked within Bethany and I from our good uh, friend Kalen, who's not here right now, but we're going to give him the credit. Uh, He's due to speak uh, and be with us, um, I think the 27th of this month, he's going to bring the word. But uh, we're we're titling this uh, sermon series, Love Thy Neighbor. Okay, Michelle's fired up. Anybody else fired up about loving your neighbor? Come on. I mean, it's only the second commandment, guys. I mean, geez, right? I mean, there's a lot to get excited about that. But loving thy neighbor. If you would, turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 22. Wow. That was awesome. The Gospel of Matthew. Uh, Just some context here of this particular chapter. Jesus is going to take care of some bullies. Um, you know, Jesus was good at that. He kind of dealt with the religious of his day, the um, astute, the intellectuals uh, who were very versed in the Torah. Um, They seemed to want to kind of team up on Jesus from time to time, and this is one of the times of which they team up on him, and this uh, particular group was the Sadducees. Um, I, I just butchered the pronunciation of that. I'm sorry, it was the Sadducees. Maybe I just butchered it again. I don't know. But the point is this. Yeah, Joe, you're, you're a scholar, so you know. You can keep me honest here. Uh, the point is this. is um, These religious men were, were kind of backing Jesus in the corner and starting to argue with him about the resurrection of all things. Right? I mean, I mean, they're talking to a guy who is not only going to be resurrected from the dead, but he's already at this point... Um, raised Lazarus from the dead. And I think if there's anybody more qualified to speak of the resurrection, it would be Jesus. Are you tracking with me? Okay. But they're, nevertheless, they're getting into it with him and they're trying to, you know, I guess, you know, test him and, and challenge him. And, and Jesus didn't take the bait. He lovingly uh, uh, made the point that the Sadducees neither know anything about the scripture, which is kind of ironic because they were, again, uh, given to the study of scripture. And he said, not only do you not, uh, not only are you not, excuse me, knowledgeable about the scripture, you are not knowledgeable about the power of God. Sounds like the dilemma the church finds itself in today. But that's another sermon for another day, isn't it? <laughs> but after this exchange happened, Jesus put it to rest. He kind of drove a nail into the coffin. They left. And well, the Sadducees' brothers, the Pharisees, decided to jump in because they were like, hey, look at what Jesus is doing to our friends. Let's get in there. Let's team up on them. Let's give them another round. And then in this particular verse, a lawyer pops up. And this is where we start to read in verse 34 of that chapter. It says, but when the Pharisees heard that that he, Jesus, had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. And with all your mind, this is the great and first commandment. And a second is like that. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Let's pray. Father, today we thank you. Um, I'm not going to move that much, Father, because apparently this mic likes to get out of control here. So we ask, Lord, that first and foremost, you start to rein in whatever's going on with this microphone. And in addition to that, God, we pray that you would rest upon every word that I speak, God, that it would be impactful to the hearts and minds of your people here today, that it would bless them and set them on a new course to going out into the world, loving their neighbor. In Jesus' mighty name I pray.
technology. Got to love it. Although this mic sounds a lot better. Uh, now, if it's not already clear, which I think it is, today we're going to be talking about loving your neighbor, okay? But before we do that, I think it's important that we kind of get into what love is, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, like if we're going to venture out and live out um, the, the second commandment, we should probably uh, be knowledgeable about this thing called love. Like, what does it mean? And I'm sure many of you are like, yeah, obviously, I know what that means. I'm married, you know? Um, I have children. But how, how many know that sometimes we fall short uh, of really understanding fully the biblical representation, uh, the biblical definition of the word love? Come on, it's, it's not that we're ignorant of it. It's just sometimes we fall short of really um, retaining it and, and then in our retaining it, living it out. Like, uh, you guys know me. I've shared openly from this pulpit a war that I have with my neighbor. It's kind of settled a little bit. I mean, but I, I can't really stand before you and, and profess that I've done a great job as a follower of Christ at loving my neighbor. And so it takes times like this to, to kind of just snap back and snap out of it and, and really get uh, uh, my mind wrapped around what it means to actually love the way Christ loves. Thank you, honey. There's this, um, I'm probably going to date myself here, but there's this song back from the early 90s. Uh, I'm sure some of you know it, uh, but it's, what is love? And, and if you, uh, you know, I... I think there was some movie made on it. It's like, what is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Don't. Now, now, whenever you have those two statements side by side, you know that we are in a bit of a predicament, right? What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. That's kind of the way us Americans define love, isn't it? It's like hurt and love in the same sentence. What is love? But no, I mean, in, in, in all honesty, we are desperately, even today, grappling and reaching after and trying to retain what is love all about? Our culture is trying to define and, 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 and actually defend in, in, in recent years what love is all about. Uh, it happens through our music. It happens through the books we read, through the internet, through Hollywood. Speaking of the internet, I found a great article in Time Magazine, and uh, maybe Joe knows this rabbi, but it uh, was written in 2016. Um, by uh, Rabbi David Wolp. I think I'm butchering uh, the pronunciation of his last name. Seems like Joe knows him. I think I got it right. Praise the Lord. Um, but he's the senior rabbi at uh, 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 Sinai Temple in L.A. And he wrote this article called, We Are Defining Love the Wrong Way. And it immediately grabbed my attention because I couldn't agree more with that statement. Speaking to the culture... Uh, this, article, this article makes the point that love should be seen not as a feeling, but as an enacted emotion. To love is to feel and act lovingly. You know, um, how many have ever watched the show Fiddler on the Roof, the movie actually? Any Fiddler on the Roofs here, fans? I'm not going to uh, even venture out to pronounce the names of the couple, that, uh, the couple, the stars of that movie. But there was a scene where the wife, no, actually the husband asked the wife, um, honey, do you love me? And, and the wife's response was this, for 25 years, I washed your clothes 
cooked your meals, cleaned your house, given you children, milked your cows. I mean, what's going on? If that's not love, then what is? I mean, I think she hit it right on the, right on the, right on the dot here of the meaning of love. In other words, um, love is best when um, it, things are acted upon in our hearts. It, it's not just mere words that are needed. Honey, I love you. Or, man, son, I'm really proud of you. I love you. Or whatever it is. It, it, it's best seen and felt by those we love by, by tangible actions that are taken. And this is the point that the wife on Fiddler on the Roof makes. Um, but whatever the case is, our culture works quite hard at trying to define this for us. And as the people of God, we kind of got to get our heads out of that whole, you know, uh, cultural, all, all of that cultural noise and get our ears in tune and our hearts in tune to what the scriptures laid out for us and how the scriptures define love. And that's my uh, hope for this morning is that we can kind of just use the text, the Bible to kind of reframe and maybe for some of us frame this idea of love, are you tracking with me? And I guess the best um, known text that I can use for this is often used at weddings. Um, nevertheless, it is fitting for weddings in settings like this as well. And that's in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 4 through 8. So if you have your Bibles, turn there, please. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. Defining love. Here, Paul, the apostle says, love is patient and kind. It does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. That one hurts a little bit, Paul. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. That will preach right there in and of itself. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecy, some of us need to hear this today. What? It will end. It will pass away. As for tongues, they will pass away. Knowledge, it will pass away, but love will endure forever. This text gives us a, 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 a meaningful, beautiful definition of what love is, right? Paul the apostle says what? Love is patient, right? Love is kind. It endures all things. And I imagine he, he, he means good and bad things, you know, because sometimes love has to endure some pretty hard hitting, painful things. Amen. If you're married, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, you can laugh there. That was pretty funny. <laughs> I probably shouldn't have done that. She's obviously single. Uh, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But it believes all things, hopes all things. Love rejoices with the truth. Love never ends. Love is not envious, boastful, arrogant, rude, or, in, or um, irritable. And it does not rejoice at wrongdoing. So the point is this. Love most certainly looks like something, friends. Obvious, Right? And for us who just throw the word around very casually without really understanding the meaning, we're missing the point. As followers of Christ, our love is supposed to be weighty and meaningful. Weighty and meaningful. Our love should look like something. Here's 1 John 3, 18, just to bring the point a little bit closer to home. 
John says this, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Let me read that again. Little children, followers of Christ, believers in Jesus, let us not love only in word or in talk, but in deed. Again, that expression of love that, that needs to be uh, in, in, in our lives as believers. It, it's not just a matter of words. It can't be simply just defined and expressed with just saying, I love you. There has to be works and deeds that kind of solidify that love, that expression of love. And this is what John is saying. But it feels like, you know, just making an observation, a general observation, the church is kind of losing the battle in this war on love. You know, I think a good example of how we're losing that battle is just to see some of the breakdown uh, of relationships within the four walls of the church. And again, I'm not using Hilltop as that example, although we have plenty of room for improvement. But, but you can, you can, you can, identify and quickly tell uh, the way that we're losing the war on love, just simply gauging the relational dynamics within the four walls of the church. And I have to think, you know, if we're losing that war here in our church or in the church at large, then man, what is that? Where's the hope in the, for the world for us to actually love uh, the unsaved and those who aren't walking with Christ? I, I think that's a great litmus test almost. And I think if we're to win any war, we're going to have to first win the war of our own relationships as a body. And then hopefully by winning that, we can actually go into the world and, and live out uh, the second commandment in a meaningful way. So what's needed, right? If, if we're losing that war, then what's needed? Last, uh, not last Friday, but this Friday we were at all, uh, all night prayer. And um, Samuel, a good friend of mine, had piped up in that um, time of prayer, and he had prayed out of John 13, 34. And here Jesus is in this verse and chapter. He says this, a new commandment I give to you, that, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. And immediately when he prayed that verse, something smacked me up against the face. Like I, I was I didn't literally get smacked up. I just, it, it, it like, you know, when somebody says something or prays something, you're just like, Oh, that, that, that speaks volumes to my heart right now. Something happens inside your heart. Well, I had one of those moments. It's like, and, and, and literally it was when he, um, when he quoted Jesus saying, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. That, that statement right there, man, just I don't, it just weighed heavy in my heart. I was like, wow, the way Jesus loved his disciples, we are to love one another. Now, the way I'm thinking about it is probably not the way you think I'm thinking about it, okay? Because the first thing that came to mind when I started thinking about it, sorry for all those thinking about it, but when I started to really think deeply upon that prayer is, man, it must have been hard for Jesus to love those 12 dudes. Like I wasn't thinking, man, Jesus, you just, cause he did, he, he, he loved deeply and, and, and almost to his demise sometimes, all right? I mean, 
I'm, I'm thinking about those 12 guys and I'm thinking, Jesus, how did you do that? And that's what really kind of leaped in my heart. I got to pondering as I'm contemplating the various struggles and things that he walked through in relationship with these 12 guys. I'm thinking you got Peter up until Acts, you know, kind of a wimp. But yet, you know, he always wanted to kind of like prevent Jesus from suffering and, 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 and almost act like the Messiah himself, like, I'll, I'll do that, Jesus, no way, you'll, you know, so Peter, like, ah, I, I, could, I don't know where I'd be relationally with Peter, uh, 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 you know, by the time we got to the, the Last Supper, you know, I forget, I mean, Peter's an obvious, and, uh, uh, you know, uh, example, but how about Judas Iscariot? Good Lord, I mean, and Jesus knows, but Jesus knows that Judas is stealing money from him, from the ministry. But yet, Jesus, I don't know, in his genius, puts him over, <laughs> you know, managing the funds. I'm thinking, man, if I had the knowledge that somebody was stealing from our church, I would call that person right out right here today. I'd excommunicate him and say, leave, never come back. And those are just two examples. Those are just two examples. So I'm not just looking at like, wow, Jesus, man, your love was extraordinary and unlike any other. And it really was, but not in the sense where he didn't have the pain and kind of the misfortune of, of, of dealing with people that maybe sometimes he didn't want to love, but he chose to love. And I can't help but to think this is the love that we need, a persevering love. And one example of this uh, impatience that maybe Jesus started to develop later in his ministry was in Matthew 17, 17. And, and here's where Jesus says this, oh, faithless and twisted generation. He's speaking to his disciples. Just imagine uh, I'm with my leadership team today and, and we're sitting down and I'm hearing that they prayed for somebody who was demon possessed and that person didn't get delivered from that demon or that they prayed for somebody who needed healing in their body and that person didn't get healing in their body. And my, my, my like resolve in that meeting was, oh, you faithless and twisted generation. Oh, but we'll, we'll just go a little further. Jesus goes on and says, how long must I be with you? Other translations say, how long must I bear with you? Like, how long must I put up with you? Like, imagine, like, it's, you know, imagine me saying that to some of you or are you saying that to somebody you love? That's pretty hard hitting. But I'm not using this to try to paint Jesus in some kind of bad light because it's impossible to do. What I'm saying is Jesus possessed a persevering love that, that even in the midst of all the trouble, all the kind of con confusion and all the Judas stealing, Peter being a wimp, Thomas being a doubter, the list goes on. He chose to persevere in love. And then at the end of his ministry says this, love each other the way I have loved you. Some of us get so hung up on things that are so ridiculous uh, in, in regards to our relationships with one another. We get so easily offended and so easily just, I don't know, just, just, just so, I don't even know the right word to use. Short, impatient with our love. 
But Jesus is calling us, guys, to, 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 to love like him. And we're going to have to persevere in this thing. There are going to be things about me you don't like. There's going to be things that I don't like about you. There's going to be things about, that you don't like about one another. But that's not the point. What we like and what we dislike is not the point. The point is that we love each other. Past those things we dislike about one another. Let me say that again. The point is this. We love one another. Past those points, past those impasses where it just feels impossible. That person annoys me. That person doesn't preach loud enough, sing loud enough, sound good enough, prophesy enough, whatever it is. We're to love like Christ loves. We're to persevere past what we like and what we dislike. A good example of this is in Paul's writings. I think he brings it home in Galatians chapter 6, verses 9 through 10. And I'll bring it home here. Paul says this in verse 9. And let us, the church, not grow weary in doing good. That's a specific kind of good there, friends. That's just not taking out the trash for your neighbor, okay? Like, like Paul's talking about doing good to one another inside the church. And we'll get into it because he actually says it here in the text. So let us not grow weary in doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. How many have felt the pressure at, point, at some points in their relationships with others just wanting to give up, right? But Paul says, go, do not, do not cease from doing good. And then in verse 10 he says, so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. And this is what I love here. In the latter part of verse 10 it says, especially to those who are in the household of faith. And I can't help but to think, man, if we can... If we can get this right, if we can first excel and really, um, you know, create a culture, wow, of love and commitment towards one another, what the impact of that will be in the world. You know, and this is where we're going next Sunday. We know because of what Christ said that the outside world will know who we are by our love for one another. So friend, our love for one another is imperative. You may think it's trite. You may think it's no big deal. You may already think that you excel in it. But it does. It, and it is a big deal. And it matters greatly. Because by it, the world will see Christ. And they will be attracted to Christ as a result of it. See, we may be standing in the way of the most effective tool of evangelism in our day and our time. And it, it, it's not necessarily just going out there and beating the streets and, and doing all these works, although we, we're going to do that as well. But it might just be the greatest tool of, of evangelizing this world might just be in the way that we love one another. So let's not grow weary in it. Let's not cease from doing good to one another, persevering in love, regardless of how we feel or what we don't feel. Let's make the choice that even when somebody annoys us and rubs us the wrong way, that we are growing in love and we are doing good amongst each other. You know, I've shared openly and honestly about my own conversion and the process that I went on um, 
kind of in the leading days of giving my life to the Lord. And, and I, I tell you, I wasn't necessarily attracted to anything other uh, in the church, you know, in terms of like the messaging and the music. It wasn't necessarily appealing to me. But when I actually saw a group of believers like really excel in loving one another genuinely, I was hooked. I, I couldn't, I, every time those doors were open, I wanted to be there. I wanted to be in that family, in that, that environment where people loved each other deeply. And it was so appealing to me. And eventually through that process, grab, God grabbed the hold of my heart. And I'm, I'm thinking that this is God's tool that he uses to reach the lost. How, how are we relating to one another? So before we venture out into actually, you know, um, re-signing up to, to living out in an intentional way the second commandment. Maybe we ought to be more intentional about living out a genuine, sincere love amongst one another and, and see what impact that might have on our city. Let's pray. Father, when we track through these next several weeks and we learn uh, truths about love and we come face to face again with the second commandment and the ways, Lord, that we are following, sh following short of really living that out, Father, I ask God that you would use these moments, these sermons to provoke something deep within us, to awaken something deep within us, Lord. And Lord, I, I ask that it would first start with a, a genuine love being developed amongst one another, God. And, and Lord, specifically for this church, Lord, I, I pray for us, Lord, that first we would taste um, and experience a, a deep love amongst us in this community of faith, Lord. And, and as a result, God, uh, of that love, we would want to go and, and, and really in a meaningful, weighty way, love our neighbors, Lord, as we love one another. Father, I pray, God, that you would show us deep, deep, provoking truths, Lord, that would inspire Deep, deep commitments, Lord, to not being passive about our faith and, and our sharing of our faith, but that would go right into um, the streets and, and would go right into our neighborhoods and, and our dorm rooms and our, our, our places where we live and work, God, and make deep, deep impact, God. Father, we have been somewhat callous, Lord, of, of evangelism, God, and we've, we've not lived um, sincere in that area, God, and we want to, God, we want to be salt and light in the city, God. We want to reach people with the good news of Jesus Christ. But Lord, start us in the process where we first excel in loving one another good. And as a result of that, Lord, impact the world around us. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen. Amen.